Good afternoon, everyone. I know all of us enjoy that special music, very profitable part of services. Well, my wife and I have been privileged to be in the church. It's our 47th feast of trumpets. Now, it just seems like yesterday when we attended our first feast of trumpets, the sermon lasted three hours in the morning, and the sermon lasted three hours in the afternoon. <laughs> so you were blessed you got out by midnight. But back then, you know, people were hungry for the truth, and, and they, they were willing to stay and listen. I don't know if you've ever heard Mr. Waterhouse speak or not when he's worldwide. <clears throat> now, he, he preached uh, almost all night one night. And he didn't mind calling your name out if you went to sleep. <laughs> now, people asked me, said, are you going to keep me awake? I said, no. I said, why? I said, well, it's prophesied that half of you go to sleep. <laughs> so I'm going to watch. You know, the Scriptures cannot be broken. So now we'll know who are the sleepy virgins, right? <laughs> That's one advantage you have being a speaker. You don't have to take notes. You know, when you're out in the audience, you have to take notes or pretend you are listening. But the speaker, he's just preaching. Uh, he doesn't listen to himself necessarily. But I remember one time at the Feast of Tabernacles, uh, I was a very inexperienced speaker. And I had about eight pages of notes. So the announcement guy got up and had the announcements for an hour and five minutes. Can you imagine announcing something for an hour and five minutes? Then after that, he announced a special music, and the title was, Blessed are the Dead. <laughs> and it went on for eight minutes. So I thought I had all that zeal. I was going to get up there, you know, and I was going to do this. And by the time I got up there, I was so mad I couldn't. I couldn't. <laughs> and so after... After the sermon, it lasted 35 minutes because you had to quit on time. So Mr. Neff said, you were a little disorganized, weren't you? <laughs> I said, I surely was. I don't even know what I said. But, uh, <laughs> but that's usually the way that works in one way. But I am grateful to all of you for leaving me at least two verses <laughs> in the book of Esther. <laughs> Now, there's nothing wrong with Esther, you know, but uh, I don't know if I can fit in on this day or not, but I don't know if anybody got killed during... Yeah, Esther did. Yeah, I think so. Somebody did back then. It reminds me of this preacher. He said, uh, my title of the sermon today is, uh, we're here to learn to serve others. So a little boy asked his daddy, said, what are the others here for? So, <laughs> that's always a hard question to answer. We're here to learn to serve others, but what are the others for? Now, the Protestants use uh, Revelation 8. That's what I thought uh, Mr. Powell was going to use. There will be silence in heaven for one hour, and they claim there will be no women in heaven. So. <laughs> now, I'm not throwing that at anybody, but that's what they, they use that scripture. <laughs> there will be no women in heaven. But I, I don't think that's right. It'll be, it'll be women in heaven, I'm sure, if we go to heaven. 
And at least we may be there for a short time, you know, get acquainted with everything before we come back down to this earth. You know, I was thinking about uh, during lunch, uh, Mrs. Armstrong, and I know some of you younger people don't quite know who we're talking about, but she was kind of the mother of all of us, and, and how that this lady showed her in the Scriptures about the Sabbath. And all of a sudden, this grabbed her the Sabbath day. Now, I don't know if she tried to prove it or what, but she just, that was it for her. And, of course, she went home and told Mr. Armstrong, and, of course, you've read this autobiography and how it made him angry, you know, and he tried to disprove that Sabbath. But what was it that God put into her about the Sabbath? That some people can hear about the Sabbath, but they don't seem to understand it, how you should keep it. You know, the Bible says you remember the Sabbath to keep it holy. That's why you remember it, to keep it holy. But what was it in her mind that she wouldn't let that go? Then Mr. Armstrong began to try to disprove all of that. And he said he studied for six months trying to disprove that. It was embarrassing to him. And, um, and he said the more he studied, the more he understood. Well, in 1934... Then Mr. Armstrong went on KORE, is a 100-watt radio station. He began to sound the trumpet. It was small. It probably didn't go out very far at that time. It wasn't all that loud. But as he stayed on the radio over the years, it became louder and louder because God gave him more knowledge and more understanding, more louder and louder for him, where he was persecuted at that time. In the early in the fifties and sixties, you really were persecuted for what you believed. I mean, you were persecuted. People hated you. They thought you were an oddball, a crazy person, antichrist, anti-religion. All of those things you had to go through. And when we went to get our children out of school, it was horrible. In a way, we were threatened jail. I mean, it was terrible. And at that time, you, you see, you didn't have too many people to support you. At that time. But we've been through so much since I've been in the church for 40-something years. We've seen all kinds of changes, all kinds of things happening. We've seen people who thought they had proven the Sabbath and the holy days. We've seen them when they, now they claim they were deceived and gone back to a Sunday worship or whatever, Christmas. And you just wonder then... Wondered, they, did they ever really understand the Sabbath like Mrs. Armstrong understood it? See? Where she would not give it up. Now, as we go into this, what we've been hearing, brethren, how many of us really and truly will stand? See? As you are this afternoon, do you think you can stand when all of these troubles start coming? Now, we're not faced with that right now. It's easy to say yes. It's easy because you never know what cross you're going to have to bear. You never know what your final test is going to be, whether or not you'll be able to stand it at that time. So we have to ask ourselves that question. Will I be able to endure? Will I be able to stand when this time comes? Or did the truth mean anything to me? All the information we read in the Scriptures, booklets, the telecast about Revelation, like we heard this morning. But do we really believe it? See? Or we just hear it? Or I've heard it before. 
I know. But can you stand? That's going to be the question when time comes. So as we sit here, as I mentioned this morning, in God's divine presence, here in His presence, you know, observing His feast as we have been taught it, as I have been taught it for 47 years, and I have no excuse. I know there is no second resurrection for me. I'm either in the first resurrection or the third resurrection, but I want to be in the first resurrection, and I want to stand. When it comes, I want to stand any trial or test that I may have to face. I don't know if I can or not. Nobody knows what he'll do in time of war. Uh, no one will know that. A lot of people have become heroes who thought they were cowards in time of war, gave their lives for the buddies. I've heard about men falling on hand grenades, saving their, saving their buddies. But you never know what you're going to do until you're faced with that situation. And that's what we want to talk about this afternoon. The question is, and it's asked throughout the, throughout few of the scriptures, and we'll cover that in a few minutes, and that question is something we all need to ask ourselves. We cannot play church. We cannot just watch say, go to church. That's an old Protestant attitude. Go to church. What church do you belong to? That's a Protestant way. See, we are the church. We assemble as a church. See, we go to an assembly as a church. But in our minds, it would be a building like we were all brought up. You know, a building. Where do you go to church? Uh, how big is the auditorium? See. And we play on words and not realizing how Satan might work on us and where that assembly may not mean that much to us. See. Assembly, where God commands us to assemble ourselves for what purpose? You know, because we like each other, to become better acquainted with each other. What purpose then does God have in mind for us? to assemble ourselves on these holy days. And he said, don't forget those holy days. He said, don't forget the assembly. Don't forget that. It's very important for us because we're not of the world. We're not of Satan's way of life. And so as we act out God's plan each year, we, have to, we act it out. Our goal is constantly kept in the forefront of our minds. We understand the plan of God and what God's purpose is for us and, and by acting this out. And we should be thankful and grateful for the opportunity that God has given to each one of us to be able to be born into His family, to like what He likes, to live like He lives in happiness and joy and all of those good things that await for God's people. And so it's important that all of us understand that we're in training, and I think we do understand that we are in training to help mankind when that time comes. We don't want to see anybody dead. You know, I don't want to see my neighbors dead. I wouldn't get a kick out of seeing them plagued like that. Uh, I want to see them saved if possible. God said He gets no thrill out of the wicked. You know, He wants the wicked to repent and turn from those sins, just like us. We want to see them change for their good, like God help us to change. And I don't think you want to see the wicked die. You don't want to see, you know, I don't know how I would feel wading through all these bodies, you know, thousands of them, thousands of bodies. How would I feel about that? What would I do? Would I blame God? You know, 
A lot of people, they get sick, they blame God. Why did God allow that to happen? Why does God allow this to happen, you see? So we have to be careful all the time and realize it's God's, not God's will that any should perish. It shouldn't be our will. We shouldn't, you know, want to see people suffer. I don't believe God gets the thrill out of seeing people just suffer for suffering's sake. Unless we learn, you know, learn a lesson from it. But I think all of us today can agree that this world needs a new government. It needs new leaders. It needs God's law. It needs what we have to offer. They need that from us. And they're waiting for us to mature and grow that we can teach that way of life to them when, you know, after they learn a tremendous lesson. And they will have to learn that lesson just like I had to learn a lesson. You had to learn a lesson. You had to learn that God is God. And there is no other God, you know, except God. And He's proven that to me over time and time. So when we think about this generation that you and I live in, is it going to go down as the most wicked generation that ever existed? Are we going to be more wicked than Noah's day? More wicked than Sodom and Gomorrah? Do we, are we that end product that we, whatever is right in our own eyes, we do it? Like Adam and Eve? 6,000 years has come down to us. And we can't see really just how wicked it is. That we're just above it. But Sodom and Gomorrah, God saw it was wicked. Noah's day, it was wicked. Everybody's heart was evil. They thought that way. That's the way they thought. Now, whether or not they knew that, I don't know. But God saw it. And when He combined the two, Sodom and Gomorrah and Noah's day, combined the two as a sign of Christ's coming. Now, what do you have today? Violence and sex. See? Violence and sex. Now, when I was growing up, as you heard, Mr. Meredith, back in the 17th century. <laughs> you know, I could identify with some things he said uh, last Sabbath, but, uh, you know, the, the worst thing they have is a wolf man. You know the wolf man? You know, it, it's scary to death. And now you come out of the movie, you'd be afraid. you look up and see if the moon was full. <laughs> but it was scary. And Frankenstein, walking around, you know, like that all the time, old Frankenstein. Well, that's all they had, except Roy Rogers and Gene Autry, and they could sing, see, and fight at the same time. <laughs> and that was unusual. But you didn't have the kind of movies or entertainment that you have today. See, it's amazing what all pops up on your screen. And we tend to get used to it. See, it becomes part of us. We don't see that we hate it. Like God would hate it. We just get used to it or what we would call tolerate it. So just tolerate that. And, uh, you know, every time you hear about something, I heard not long ago about this young girl got pregnant in the church. And no matter how much you try to teach, one mistake can ruin you forever. One mistake. They go ahead and do it anyway. See, that one mistake is all it takes. Or you get in trouble with the law. You become a felon. One mistake. You can repent of it, but nobody ever lets you forget it. See? Now, you see, if people hated 
evil and what it does, fornicating and what it does, what it, how it robs people, or adultery, what it does to families. It tears them apart, families, when they do that. If they could see that as evil, being evil, and God sees it as evil, see? He sees it as evil. But sometimes, you know, the American people, they tend to tolerate it. It's, it's kind of fun. You know, how many times have you been married? Eight. Eight. Yeah, eight times. Well, I'm living one now. It's not my husband. Oh, how great that is. Oh, you got a baby at 16? Yeah. Well, I'm going to have me one at 17. See, the kind of thinking when the school becomes anti-God, society becomes anti-religion, anti-law, that's what we have. So we're becoming the most evil generation of probably recorded in the Scriptures. Now, how can anybody with a sane mind believe that they have the right to destroy all human flesh? A government believes by destroying people he has that right. It seems right in his own eyes. How can anybody come to that conclusion? And that's why Jesus said what happened, unless he intervened. That that would happen uh, in these in that situation if he didn't intervene. So man has put his faith in the governments of this world, put his faith on the government to solve all of his problems, take care of all his health problems, take care of everything, and they fail. But they trust the government. Now they're saying, if we can just get the Republicans in, see, if we can get the Republicans in, we'll have a better life. So they put their faith in a government that cannot help them. People put their faith in humans that can't help them. Humans cannot solve a problem. Humans don't have the knowledge to solve the problem. God has the knowledge. But you still, we still put the faith in humans. See, This psychiatrist can help me. See, Or this so-and-so can help me. Without the knowledge of God, God understands the human mind, the human nature, uh, he understands that. And he tells us about it in the Scriptures so, you know, that we could have a jump on everything. But man does what seems right in his own eyes. It's been that way since Adam and Eve. And each generation becomes progressively worse than the other. Each one changes. And I bet if you were to ask your young people, maybe 12, they would tell you just about their generations coming up. Those who are 18 can tell you about their generation. And it's shocking. And you can't do anything about it. We have to wait. We have to wait till the king of kings come, establish a different government. Then man will be able to put their faith in the right government, trust the right government, to help them, to give them life and freedom and all of those good things. And that's what our job is, and that's why that we have to sound the trumpet. See, we have to blow that trumpet to let people know there is a better way coming. Now, whether or not they will pay any attention to us, we don't know. But just think without a witness. And they go before God and say, well, why didn't you tell us? Why didn't you tell us all these things? He said, I did. 
I did tell you. You remember Herbert W. Armstrong? You remember the the Radio Church of God? You remember the Worldwide Church of God? Remember the Living Church of God? We did tell you. That was a witness. See, that was your witness of what was going to happen. And people, I believe, are beginning to take notice of that, what's happening in the world today. They're looking for answers, and I'm pretty sure they're... They know where the answers are. A lot of things are taking place, and where do they get all that information? Now, they just don't obey it, but they know it makes sense. Truth makes sense to everybody. So God wants us then, brethren, to understand, and I think we do, that we are being trained with supreme character. Nothing could be compared to that. Nothing this world offers can be compared to what you and I are receiving and what we will be receiving in the near future. Is God going to open up the book of Daniel that's been sealed in the end time, that knowledge? Will he begin to open it up to the church and let the church understand more spiritual things? We don't know what lies ahead for sure. But we do know God knows that he's given man that 6,000 years to learn that his way is not right. There is no government right. There is no school system is right. And man has to learn that lesson before he's ever given any kind of power. Power, you know, to maybe to help others. So the big question even for the church, will we survive? And we know what the Bible says about people coming out of the tribulation. They're going to have to survive. Now, they'll be dead, but they'll be faced with their cross. It'll be a heavy cross to bear, but they'll have to make a decision. Nobody can make it for them. They will have to make it, whether or not they will take that mark of the beast, whether or not they will surrender that that system that promises everything, you know, promises everything, wealth and everything, protection, or whether or not they'll trust God. Now, they can't see God. But they'll see that beast, that power. It'll make sense to them. And they'll see that Christ is the Antichrist coming. It'll make sense to them. Because that's the way they've been programmed. To fight him. See, It's an Antichrist, a false prophet. And so Satan is not going to give up his world without a battle. And it's a battle and God's going to establish his government in a world war. A big battle takes place. And so we have to be prepared for that. But we know that we will survive, and we know that humans, as we heard in Sermon Sermonette, that there will be a remnant left of all nations, and he'll start from a small group again. And they'll expand as as they're taught, as they're educated. They'll keep growing as they're educated. And finally, this knowledge will reach all around the earth. It takes time to get the knowledge out for people to understand it, disseminate it, put it into practice, see if it works. And it takes that thousand years. Finally, it reaches everybody, uh, at least uh, an opportunity for them to see that God is God. So let's turn to Matthew chapter 24. Matthew 24 and just... I may have to repeat 15 or 20 of these scriptures that Scott taught. (laughs) No, no. 
It just shows what man will do because he thinks he's right. He'll destroy all mankind because he believes he's right. See, there's a way that seems right to him. And he'll do that, as Jesus said, unless those days are cut short. The, but no flesh should be saved alive. And for the elect's sake, God will do Not for the world's sake, but for the elect's sake, God will do that for us. Then we turn and we see that <clears throat> verse 36, well, verse 35, he said, Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will by no means pass away. They're eternal words, see. They're not just physical words. They came out of a mouth of God who has all character. He doesn't change at all. There's no error in His Word. See, there's no error in God. God is not human. But of that day and hour knows no one. See, no one knows. Not even the angels of heaven. You know, God hasn't even told them about that. When does it start? When did this time start? What time did it start? Eight o'clock on the first day of the week? On the Sabbath? And when does it end? When does the tribulation start? At what time? Four o'clock? Five o'clock? Six o'clock? Thursday or Friday? When does it start? And when does it end? See? Nobody knows for sure. But we have these signs. You're getting close. You know, maybe 21 more miles to go. And something like that we understand. But nobody knows for sure. But as the days of Noah were, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. For as in the days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark. Now, what sin is he pointing out here? See? Eating and drinking. There's nothing wrong with eating and drinking, is it? And marrying. Now, what do people sell today? You go anywhere in food. You can get all you want to eat. <laughs> They're everywhere here in America. See? Fast food restaurants. You go to school, get all you eat. Mr. Lindsay and I were talking about that. It smells good, you know, and you want to eat three or four helpings. And first thing you know, you, man, I can't believe I ate the whole thing. Then, the, and look how many alcoholics you have today. Look how many crack on people on drugs, tranquilizers, all kinds of pills. Just, just think about. The percentage of people who are substituting, trying to make themselves feel better, and uh, they can't. And it's like we're under this curse of cancer, of all of these things that people are having today. They didn't have a few. You know, when I was growing up, you hear maybe one or two that TB or somebody might have had cancer. But it, today, the processed foods, the water, everything is polluted and tainted. See, man has done that, trying to help man. You know, trying to help man. Now they got what's called born again eggs. <laughs> so we buy those that <laughs> born again eggs. I look at those born again eggs. I don't know what that means, but <laughs> but they must be good if they're born again. But you see, this is the way they were doing the eating and the drinking and cares of life. Now, what about that last generation of Christians? 
See? What is their main concern? See, what is it? Is it cares of life? Is it eating and drinking and cares of life? And nobody's going to tell me what to do. I'm my own person. I'll make up my own mind. See? Cares of life. Is he talking about the whole world? Is it just more or less coming back to the people who once knew the truth? And God involved with the cares of life instead of the cares of what God cares about. See, we've got to learn to care what God cares about. We have to learn to live His lifestyle, brethren. Not some Hollywood out here. Not some athlete out there, His lifestyle. But God's lifestyle. To live with Him forever, His lifestyle. That we have to learn that. Now, these people didn't know, even though they probably saw that big ship, you know, people passing by, probably even had co-workers helping him. Who knows? Helping him with that. But they didn't know what was going to happen. They just saw it. They had never experienced anything like that before. Now, when Noah entered the ark, they did not know until the flood came and took them all away, every one of them. Now, you can just picture what that would be like. You know when an earthquake hits or tornadoes come and how people try to get out of the way and how people may try to get up the hills or the trees and, and all, just the panic, See, the panic. Probably when they realized it, what was happening is too late for them. They couldn't get in the ark. See? They couldn't get in. And when the door is shut in the church, nobody can get in. They'll knock, try to get in, but they can't. It's shut, you see. It's shut on them. And that's the things we have to consider, brethren. If it's shut, and this day pictures the final judgment of the church, it separates the wheat from the chaff. See? This day in the resurrection. It pictures our final assembly united together one cause as we approach Christ in the air and uh, take our right our position. So he was showing here. They didn't know until the flood came and took them all away. Now you could say that was their day of the Lord. And that was their tribulation. See, that was their day uh, of, uh, you know, experiencing something, which they will tell us one day what it's like. When they come up, maybe in the second resurrection, they'll tell us what that's like. And he talks about, you know, Sodom and Gomorrah. They didn't know. God allowed Lot to get out. He allowed his wife to get out. He allowed uh, his two daughters to go with him. On one condition, you don't look back. See? You don't look back. And you know how curiosity is. You want to look back and see what's going on. Did they still have some family back there? Started worrying about their family? See? But she looked back. Now, that's a simple instruction. Don't look back. Okay? Now, what's wrong with that instruction? Now, that's all God said. The angel said. Now, it was up to them not to look back. Now, God didn't have a couple of angels holding their heads, you know, like that, keeping them looking. So, God's way is simple, and He tells us what to do. Now, if we don't do it, it's not God's fault. 
It's simple, see. The instructions, he tells us. And what we need to do is we heard the prayers, you know, the sermon and the prayers. He tells us how to pray, what to pray for. And I catch myself not praying like that. I do pray like that, but I get, I get off that, see. Get, you know, my mind gets distracted maybe on the work and all of this other and this other and this praying about this person, that person. I forget to pray what Jesus said pray for. I'm praying for what I want to pray for. And uh, which is all right. I have that right to do that. But he does tell me and you that we are to pray. That we can what? Stand. See? Miss it all, but stand. See? Stand for what? Stand where? See? As he brings out in, in that scripture. And we'll reread that in just a moment. Now, Revelation chapter 6. Here is an important question. Now, that's been read a couple of times, so I'm just going to take that verse 17. For great, for the great day of his wrath has come. You see, it's called a great day has come, and who is able to stand? So that's the question, brethren. Who is going to be able to stand when that comes? Now, he's not talking about necessarily the tribulation per se. Now, he's talking about those who might have taken the mark of the beast or whatever, whatever. It could be talking about them. He's talking about anybody who's going to be in that day. But the question is, who is able to stand at that time when that event takes place or that year, you know, of... When he said he's got to send Jesus, if not, there'd be no flesh saved. And when you read in the book of Daniel, you see that he is crowned as king of kings before the ancient of days. And he's sent back as king of kings and lord of lords. He's sent back to save mankind from destroying himself or, or at least, uh, you know, helping man along that way. So the, the key is, who can stand? That's a very important question, isn't it? Now, I hope my family will be able to stand. See, People that I know, I hope they'll be able to stand if they're in it. See? Now, God always says, stand. See, Don't move back. You stand. Well, you stand then and you wait and you hope that you can miss that day. Now, you still be alive, still miss it. Because he tells you what to do, see, what you should do at that time. He gives instructions, just like he gave the instructions to uh, to, uh, Lot's wife and Lot. See, don't look back. Don't pay any attention to what's back there, what I'm doing. You stand, you move forward, and never go back. Now, Malachi chapter 3. Malachi brings... This out as well. Malachi 3. Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek. Now we know that's John the Baptist was sent to prepare the way, but brethren, aren't we doing the same thing? 
Are we preparing the way for Christ? See? Are we announcing about Christ coming to be King of Kings and Lord of Lords? Are we preparing that same wave, the same message? Introduce the world. Isn't Christ being introduced to the world through us? Are we telling about this Christ that we know that they don't know? They see the light in us that they don't see in others. They listen to us when they may not listen to everybody else. We are introducing Jesus Christ to any unconverted person. And we all tried to introduce that to our mothers and daddies and friends when we were first called. They didn't know Him. We tried to introduce Him to them. Our message is that Christ is coming. See? Don't look back. Just stand and be patient and wait until this government is established and you will have peace. See? So He's coming and people will seek Him eventually. See? They will seek Him. As, uh, you know, as it brings out here. And He will come... To his temple, even the messenger of the covenant, in whom you delight, behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. But who can endure the day, see, of his coming? Who is going to be able to do that? And who can stand when he appears? I think we'll be able to stand. Hopefully, we'll have a glorified body by that time. See, That we'll be in the resurrection with him. We'll meet him in the air. But the question is, Who's going to be able to stand? And as we heard this morning about, you know, the, he has such tremendous power over his creation. Where a sea drives up, just drives up, the mountains move. And we've never seen any power like that. We've never seen it. We run from it. I guarantee we run from it. And we may be the ones running for the mountains. <laughs> not to say, not to kill us, but... To, you know, you know, you run from tornadoes. You'd be a fool to see a tornado coming at you. And you just stand there, you know, <laughs> daring that tornado to suck you up. <laughs> but see, we've never done that. We've never experienced that kind of power. And what would we do? I think I might have mentioned this before. I was Pasadena. I'd never been to an earthquake. <laughs> so I was praying one morning. And I said, God, please give me your power. And all of a sudden, the floor started shaking. And you know what I did? I ran out. <laughs> Got out of there as quick as I could. And I thought, what, how, what a fool I was. I'd run from the power if he gave it to me. Because so, I never experienced it before. It's all new. See? I've never been drunk on the Holy Spirit. Maybe a spirit, but not the Holy Spirit. <laughs> For we knew better. But you see, I wouldn't know what it feels like. And most of us think we need to feel the Spirit, don't we? See, Something you have to feel. But I've never experienced that kind of power. Now, I know when we've ordained as an elder, and I think any elder will tell you, you do receive a power. that You really don't know it until later you begin to... You know, you don't feel things. If things happen to you, never, never happened before. It's the power then to teach or write or whatever you can do. The talent is there. This increases. But we have never, what would we do on the day of Pentecost? If we'd all been here on the day of Pentecost, which most of us were, and all of a sudden the building shook, 
You know, tongues came down. What would we have done, you think? <laughs> I think you know. See, we never experience certain things of God, of His great power. Now, Dr. Meredith is praying for it, and we need to pray for that. But we don't need to be afraid of it. See? They were not afraid of it in the Old Testament and New Testament. They weren't afraid at all of God's power. See? And they understood that power. So here it says, Who can stand at that time? And that's everybody, brethren. Ministers, deacons, elders, you name it. When the time comes, will we be able to stand? Well, I look at the, at the past. If you want to look back, and there are a lot of people that did not stand. Couldn't go against the grain. There was a salary involved. They were afraid. See? They were afraid. When that test came, it happened, but Mr. Armstrong warned everybody. You've heard him warn people that, you know, when I die, it's going to be Protestant. It'll be a Protestant church. See, when I die. Did it happen? It surely did. But they didn't believe it. It would happen. And so we do pray, as we heard in the sermonette, that we would be accounted worthy to escape these things and stand when these things began to take place. See? Be able to stand and not look back, not give up, not quit in those circumstances. In Joel chapter 3, notice what Joel prophesied. Multitudes, verse 14, multitudes in the valley of decision. So there's going to have to be some decisions made in the valley of decision. The sun and moon will grow dark and the stars will diminish their brightness. The Lord will also will roar from Zion. And utter his voice from Jerusalem. The heavens and earth will shake, but the Lord will be a shelter for his people and the strength of the children of Israel. So you shall know that I am, see, that I am the Lord your God. And that's the whole purpose. For you to know that I am God. I am the Lord your God, you see. And that's what we're talking about. We have to know that He is our God, our personal God, that relationship with Him, that we can stand on that relationship with God, that you know that's His whole purpose is to establish His credibility to every human being that's ever lived, that I am God, there is no other God. You're not a God. There is no other God besides me. And that's what he wants to establish. And that's why he allows everybody to make their own decisions. That's why he's given mankind 6,000 years. To prove to man that he is not a God. That only God is God. See? And he has to allow people to make choices. And suffer the consequences of those choices. See? He must do that to prove that he is God. That his way is right. And there is no other way. His way is right. And there is no error in His way. See? And He wants everybody to know that. He wants His church to know that. 
that He is God. And when these things begin to happen, I am God, you stand. You see, don't retreat. You stand because I am God. Let's turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. But concerning the times and the seasons, and are we in, as we heard, uh, the fall season, the holy day seasons, that we're to preach the word in season and out of season, for the time will come when they will not endure what they hear during those seasons. See, those seasons. If I were to ask you, of all the sermons you heard last year, could you name one or two points that changed your life where you went back and reviewed the sermons? Now, I'm not trying to put you through a guilt trip, but, uh, but that's something that really changed your life. When you go back and look at Nehemiah, remember that? The Day of Trumpets, they had trumpets, and they had the Day of Atonement. Then they had the Feast of Tabernacles. Then about two days after the Feast of Tabernacles, everybody started fasting. And they decided to renew their life, family life, get rid of all the Gentiles. See, they wanted to renew everything about them. They never wanted to go back into that tribulation they just came out of. And Nehemiah was there, you know, the teacher and the preacher. And they preached two hours a day, said it two hours from mid-morning to noon, see, just about like we do. But they listened. Everybody there listened. Kids and all listened because they did not want to go back through what they had gone through for those 70 years. See. But he said here of the brethren, they were probably having some problems here. And he said... You have no need that I should write to you, for you yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so comes as a thief in the night. For when they say peace and safety, then sudden destruction comes upon them as labor pains upon a pregnant woman as they shall not escape. Now, a woman knows she's pregnant. Now, when is your baby due? Well, it's supposed to be October the 4th, you know. Well, they fell in labor pain. Oh, no, no, no labor pains yet. But, you know, they come suddenly. Labor pains do. And you're not expecting them at, probably at that time. I think Diane was teasing me a while ago. She was, when we first saw her, she was, she was bigger than me then. <laughs> she was pregnant. And she was worried about what if her water broke while she was up there singing special music. She knew, see, that she was pregnant. She knew that she was going to have a baby. But she didn't know when. See? Have no idea when it's going to happen. She couldn't predict it's going to be Thursday morning at 5 o'clock or midnight. Usually coming. Why do they always come early in the morning? <laughs> you know, 3 o'clock or 4. You had to get out of bed and jump in the car. hope your car will start. My wife was in labor, and I got out. You know, we were about 14 miles from the hospital. got out my car wouldn't start. Now, I panic. And so I went over and woke up the neighbor and said, my wife's in labor. Would you take me to the hospital? <laughs> you know, let me hurry up. Let me get there as fast as you can. So you always have to be prepared. You never know like that. But he, he just talks about this peace and safety. And what are they talking about now in 
Jerusalem or here in America. What have they, they been trying to do in those areas? And eventually they will cave in. They will work out some agreement. It won't last that long, but they'll work it out because, number one, they will destroy all the Jews. How can you, if someone wants to kill you, you just keep giving them, backing up for them, backing up, eventually they will do it. See, But the United States, you see, they're a old uh, sister Hillary, you know, a woman that's very smart and dedicated. <laughs> She's negotiating between these two big men, you see, and, and trying to bring it all to pass. And, but it's going to happen. It has to happen. See, And nobody can stop it. But you, brethren, are not in darkness, so that this day should not overtake you as a thief. See, that day, day of the Lord, shouldn't overtake anybody that's in the light or in the truth. However, they should stand to be able to stand in the truth and stand in the light and be saved then from the day of the Lord. They can be saved from it, from the day of the Lord. Therefore, let us not sleep as others do, but let us watch and be serious or sober. For those who sleep, sleep at the night, at night, and those who get drunk are drunk at night. That's usually when people get drunk. That's usually when a lot of sin is committed at night. See? At nighttime, not necessarily in the light. See? But let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love as a helmet, the hope of salvation. So that's something that we have to put on. See? Now, how do we do it? See? Dr. Meredith gave the sermon on that. Uh, was it last week? About the whole armor of God, about Satan, the wiles of Satan, how he works. That we have to put on the whole armor of God. We have to put it on for the battle. You wouldn't put it on unless you realize there was a battle. And you put it on to protect you. You put it on to protect your life. I don't believe in the old days when you gave that sermonette about the fiery darks, they went around all the time with a shield on, you know, or armor on all the time, just when they were in a battle. So when we're in a battle, we put it on. For God did not appoint us to wrath. See, we hadn't been appointed. He didn't call us for that, for wrath. But to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, whether we... Wake or sleep, we should live together with Him, as the Bible shows. And God has promised us that He will protect us and He will take care of us if we seek Him with all of our heart. And so in the day of that day, if, when people really turn to God, He will spare them. That's what He said from the day of wrath. Now, whether or not they'll be killed uh, by the beast or whatever, He said He would... They wouldn't have to go through the day of the Lord, all those plagues. And God promises that in, in several scriptures. That Now, before the things that we're talking about happens, we all have a job to do. And it's called blowing the trumpet. See, We have to give a distinct sound, succinct sound. He didn't say, lift up your voice like a piano. See? Or like a saxophone. Now, why a trumpet? See? Why does God use a trumpet? Because it has that, it carries such authority with it. 
And you understand the, the tone of it. Reveille. The starting gate. Taps. See. Charge. Recall. You see, some people, some brethren, but are blowing taps. The work is dead. The work is over. See. Retreat. Beverly. Go to sleep. So the trumpet has to give this sound where the Bible says in Isaiah 58, lift up your voice like a trumpet. It carries authority. And when Mr. Armstrong's on the radio, his voice carried authority. See, You couldn't put it down. And the speakers today on television, they carry authority. You have to lift it up. Not only do you warn Israel, but God's people have to be warned. And that's why we get certain sermons on how to overcome or maybe corrective sermons. We have to be warned. The voice must be direct and lift up. It carries authority see, for those who hear the trumpet. And God has called us to blow the trumpet. See, nothing else but the trumpet. That's its sound. Now, I used to go to watch Saturday movies a long time ago, you know, the Calvary. You'd have the Indians and the Calvary. And so the Calvary would line up, you know. The captain says, grab your swords. Then he'd point, charge! You know, your hair just stand up. You start clapping, you know, going at the enemy. And maybe that's what God wants us to do. Get your sword and charge. See? Fight. Don't quit. You're in a war. Charge. See, with that trumpet sound. And so the old cavalry soldiers had to understand those, those uh, recall, reverly, all of those different sounds. And so, so God used that to, you know, know, for us to do. Now, 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Verse 14. I'm sorry. Chapter 1 Corinthians 14. Verse 7. Even things without life, whether flute or harp, when they make a sound, unless they make a distinction in the sounds, how will it be known what is piped or played? For if the trumpet makes an uncertain sound, who will prepare for battle? See? If it's an uncertain sound, as we heard this morning about the shofar, you know that had to send chills up and down the spines of those men, the families, the mothers and sons, and they had to, whatever they were doing, they'd have to go get their armor, their spears and the shields, and they'd have to go and assemble for battle. When they heard that sound, it had to scare them a little bit. That sound when it was made. They were, had to go to war. They had to fight. And they had to fight. And usually God would do the fighting for them, see. But they had to prepare. When that sound, it gave a certain distinction, a sound. And when Christ comes, or when these trumpets are played, it's going to be a sound, that everybody will understand and understand that sound. So when an angel of God speaks, it can be carried all around the world.
They have such power, voices. They're not like humans in a way. They will fight our battles for us. They will help us if we sounded the trumpet. We've been called to sound the trumpet. Mr. Armstrong started, and he could only go so far without others helping him. See, We can only go so far unless others help us. See, We get the sound out pretty, you know, as far as we can, but we need others to help us to blow the trumpet. So when Christ comes, brethren, we can't be playing the, you know, the guitar or the juice harp. It's got to be the trumpet called a battle. Our armor on, see, for the fight. And we're going to have to fight to take over this world. He's not going to give it up. We'll be with Christ fighting when He comes. And God expects men and women to fight for what, they, what they're after. You remember Caleb? When Caleb was 40 years old, he was promised the mountain. And when it was, the battle was over, at 85, he went up to Joshua and said, That's my mountain up there. And he got all those giants. I'm well able. I'm well able to take it. Now, he was 85 years old with all those giants up there. He had to go up and take it. It was his. And he said, I'm well able to do it. And he did it. It was his. Have you ever noticed, have seen some of these movies when they had the treasury there and you had a dragon? <laughs> you know, they try to get around that old dragon to get that treasure. That's the way Satan is. He's become a dragon. We've got to outsmart him <laughs> to get the treasure that God has promised us. It's up to us then, isn't it? But all too often we expect God to just give it to us. Just hand out. I'm going to wait for God. You know, I'm going to wait for His good time. See? Instead of this fighting spirit that Paul said, I have fought a good fight. And there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness. And when Christ is crowned as King of Kings, He's coming back with those crowns and He's going to give those crowns to those whom have qualified. And Apostle Paul will be one of them. The others will be, and I hope all of us are qualified to receive a crown. He says, let no man take that crown. And that's a warning to the Philadelphia church. Let no one take your crown. You have to fight for it. And you better be glad that we have ministers that will fight. If you try to take Dr. Meredith's position, you'll hit you in the head of that cane. <laughs> he's, he's a fighter. See, that's what you want, somebody to fight. Evil out there and tell you what evil is and lead you into battle, see, as, as the doors open for us. So, so that trumpet has to have this distinct sound. can't be an uncertain sound. can't be a, well, I don't know type sound. I hope so type sound, see. The sound is either yes or no. There's no in between yes and no. You love God? Yes. You love His commandments? Yes. You love His Sabbath days? Yes. You love His feast days? Yes. Do you tithe? Yes. See? There's no in-between. Yes and no. Just either yes or no. And all through the Scriptures, it's always yes. See? For God's people. 
And so that's an important question, you know, that he wants us to understand. Now let's go back to Zephaniah chapter 2. Verse 1, Gather yourselves together, yes, gather together, O undesirable nation. Now, I could just add something there, but, uh, you know, I could say it's uh, we're God's nation. We're, we're Israelites, a spiritual nation. And I don't believe anybody desires us, do you? I mean, I don't know if anybody really desires <laughs> see us coming with the truth. Before the decree is issued or the day passes, the chaff before the Lord, uh, before the Lord's fierce anger comes upon you. Before the day of the Lord's anger come upon you, seek the Lord, all you meek of the earth. So he tells what is to be done. The meek of the teachable of the earth, seek, seek him who have upheld his justice, seek righteousness and seek humility. It may be that you will be hidden in the day of the Lord's anger. See, that you may be hidden. A teachable individual, somebody that's humble, realize how great God is, how nothing I am in comparison to the great God, that He can teach me what to do see, and how to do it. And I really believe in the place of safety is a good place to teach. See? Those people have sought God, they're teachable, and, and um, it's, it's, going to be a, it's going to be rewarding, see. It could be, brethren, not because we're special in one way, it's because God may have a bigger position for you, that He can train you for that position when you're not around, surrounded by, you know, this evil world out there, see. that we can be trained and understand that. Wherever the place is, and the only indication you can really find a Bible is the wilderness in the city, and the only cities in the wilderness has always been Petra. Christ is the rock. He's the bulwark, you see. He's the protector. See? Now, we don't know, but it, like I said, it, He could protect you anywhere, but he, when you assemble together and someone is teaching you a higher calling, like He taught the apostles, he taught Paul. Where did he teach Paul? Where was he when he taught Paul? See, Why did he come down and teach Paul? Why didn't he allow the apostles to teach Paul? See? But see, in his plan, he knows what he's doing. And if we're called for higher training or position, and we're teachable, and we understand that, we can learn to obey and trust and come under authority, his authority, whether we like it or not, but where we just have to humble ourselves to come under that authority. And that's something the Pharisees never did have. The justice, faith, see, and meekness. They were never teachable. They were always wanting to teach somebody. They wanted to teach Christ. They wanted to hold on to their traditions. So how could He ever then give them any responsibility when they, they weren't teachable? They didn't recognize Him as Savior as the head of the church, as one that's come from God. They might have, but they wouldn't, you know, they wouldn't admit it to themselves. Now let's turn to Ephesians chapter 6. Now 
You know, I've often thought, well, if the Word comes out for us to go, would we really believe it? <laughs> see? See? You know, okay, here's the Word. Somebody says it, goes out. You call up your name. Did you get that Word? <laughs> Are you sure? <laughs> They're serious. You know, we've been told that for all these years. Now, what do you think? Is that the way it'll be? That way, would God use it? How would He contact? What would He do? Would He put it in your heart and mind to do it? Would He take one in the bed and leave the other one? Would He take one in the field and leave the other one? Usually when two are sleeping together, they have something in common. When you say? Or if they're working in the field together, they have something in common. What would that, what would that be if one were taken and the other left? I thought, well, boy, if I were to wake up, my wife's gone. Now, I wouldn't immediately think she's in a place of protection. I'd say, where is she? Go out and start yelling, screaming, call the neighbors. They couldn't find her. Then all of a sudden, I realized I'm left behind. <laughs> now, what would I do? I can't cook. <laughs> I can't wash clothes. And I don't know how to use the washing machine. So she'd be the most logical one to be left behind. <laughs> In Ephesians 6. <laughs> well, I get no dinner tonight, you know. In verse 10, it said, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. To be strong in that. Your mind has to be strong in it, brethren. That nothing can change your mind. We cannot be weak-minded. Strong in it. Strong-minded person in God. And he talks about the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand, see? And we're talking about who's going to be able to stand. The whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Who brings on the tribulation period is the devil. See? It's him. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand, see, all that we can do, we have to do it. As long as we can stand, it's almost like you're in such pain and you cry out to God, have mercy on me. Then all of a sudden the pain leaves. You can't stand it anymore. See, You've done all you could to stand. Then the pain leaves or whatever it is, it's, it's gone. We have to stand, you see. We put our trust in God, not anything in this world, not any government, anything but God. We're going to replace these governments that's deceive the citizens and take from the citizens and from this relig religions out there. That is to see people. Can you imagine just going around? You can't see anybody's eyes in 85 or 90 degree weather in dark old drab clothes. See? Just they're in that. They can't come out of it. See? They feel bad if they came out. That's the way they are. They've been taught that. All the, and they feel guilty. See if they come out of it. 
It's like me when I drank beer before I came into church. So I thought, before I came in, I thought it was a sin, so I quit. Then I found out you could drink beer. So I stopped, thought I'd get me some. And I looked around. I was wanted to see if anybody could see me. <laughs> and I was 100 miles away from home. <laughs> so I sneaked in right quick, you know, got in there, got that beer. My wife didn't drink at that time, so only I'd get one beer. Just see how it tastes. But I felt guilty. I convinced my mind that I couldn't drink beer. It's sin. But I used to drink it before I convinced my mind it was sin. <laughs> but it was hard to just get a beer and, and drink it, see, because I trained my mind. It's hard to change. It's hard to change your appearance. It's hard to do anything when you're used to yourself. When I saw I had the cataracts removed from my face, eyeballs, I had never seen such ugly person in my life. Is me. And I couldn't believe that I looked that bad. And my wife always told me I looked good when she wanted new clothes, see. But, uh, <laughs> but anyway, it's amazing when you can see yourself like you've never seen yourself before. <laughs> you know, do I really look that way or am I, do I look that way? You get so used to yourself the way you are. You feel uncomfortably changed. If you try to change in any way. It's like I was telling the spokesman club. I said, you have to learn to be unnatural. See? Until it becomes natural. And when it becomes natural then, you see, you can realize how unnatural you've been. Because we're not used to it. We're not used to being... We're used to being natural, which is unnatural in a way. Because we're afraid to speak out. We're shy. We don't like talk. We don't like somebody to listen to us, especially when all those eyeballs are looking at you. You tend to freeze. But you have to become unnatural see, to do it. And what I would say unnatural, you know what I'm talking about, something would become natural at least when somebody can hear you. <laughs> so that it just takes, you know, it takes work on, on an individual's part. But here he says, stand therefore, verse 14, therefore having the... Uh, girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and that's been explained to us in so many times, and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace, and above all, above all, taking the shield of faith. You know, being in God's work is a shield. Believe me, if your heart is in His work, and you love God first, and you love His work second, then it is a shield for you. You grow in it. You begin to grow in it, in that knowledge, and that understanding. And it's a shield. As Mr. Armstrong always taught us, if your heart's in the work of God, and you love God, it's in the work then. You love what God loves. It becomes, you begin to grow in that. You begin to, your mind begins to expand. You begin to think about people in South Africa and Africa and all those other nations over there, how they live, Haiti, like we saw here in Jamaica and those areas. So your mind begins to expand. You begin to take in not only all these nations, but you begin to take in the universe then. Your mind begins to expand, see, as you let it grow. And that's what God wants us to do is encompass everything so we'll understand it.
Now, are you going to be free to spirit being travel to travel way out there in space? <laughs> Will you get lost? <laughs> the cell phone, hey God. <laughs> I must have missed a turn someplace. <laughs> Can you tell me where you know where that is? But just think about that vast universe out there. Will we ever get lost? <laughs> well, they need signs. Back home is this way, you know, back to the earth. Would you be afraid if he were to send you out there someplace? Would you be spooky? I don't think so, but you understand your mind have to comprehend everything, that you would never be lost. Our mind can't even begin to comprehend what God has for all of us who love him and what the power he can give us. A powerful mind that encompass every plant planted out there. No ever God being by name at that time. All the angels by names. I can't remember names. See, but that time we'll be able to remember. We'll have new names. Now, what your old name used to be? Oh yeah, I knew you. Were. Now, what's your new name? Zero. <laughs> but that's uh, that is. Uh, the sound that brethren, I think, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and all of them are waiting to hear. The trumpet sounds. Christ says, get up, men. Get up, Isaac. Get up, Jacob. Wake up. It's time to go. Time to work. It's time to go, church. Wake up. Let's go. We've got a lot of work ahead of us. We're waiting for that sound. So let's keep blowing the trumpet until Christ says, wake up. And let's get busy. <laughs>